Welcome to BIO, a podcast produced by the Biographers International Organization. BIO is devoted to promoting the work of biographers and advocating for biography as a genre with the support of biographers and biography lovers worldwide. I'm BIO member Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles, California. On each episode, we talk with a biographer about his or her work. You don't have to be familiar with Singaporean artist Lee Wen to appreciate a new biography of him. In the hands of writer Lishan Chen, Wen, who died in 2019, comes vividly to life. Searching for Lee Wen, a life in 135 parts, is an inventive biography published by Epigram that uses art, charts, and brief chapters to explain Wen, his work, and Chen's complicated friendship with him. I talked with Lishan Chen via Zoom from her home in Singapore. You didn't sit down like some biographers do and say, I know this figure, I'm going to write a book about him. You had this strange way that you met him in the first place. That's very true. And, uh, and prior to, uh, to writing this book on Lee I I had um, actually uh, published a, a sort of a memoir of uh, mental illness. Mm-hmm. It was in this context that I actually met Lee because. I had an email from an artist named Gerald Liao, mm-hmm. and he thought of uh, doing a collaboration on the subject of mental illness. So I went to meet him, and it turns out that he was a housemate of Lee Wen's. They, uh, they worked in, in the same space. It wasn't so much that, uh, that I sat down and, and I made a list of possible subjects. Right. It was sort of the other way around. You know, mm-hmm. I, uh, I got to know Lee Wen, and, and I thought, Wow, you know, this is a, such an, an interesting person, and um, and in, in person he was very charismatic. You know, I thought, well, it would be interesting for uh, a next book project to try to write a biography, and perhaps I could write it on Lee Wen. Mm-hmm. So I suggested it to him, and at first, you know, he was very enthusiastic. Quite soon after, he got a little bit worried as he started to think about what it meant to be the subject of a biography. And, and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, he was thinking, oh, you know, uh, what if people think that I've, that I've sold out, that I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you hmm. know, make myself known, you know. So he was very concerned about that. And then he was also concerned about, like, what he could say and what he could not say. It was only, like, three years later. I had become quite interested in biographies by then. And, and so I enrolled on a... A program at the University of East Anglia in biography and, and uh, creative nonfiction. And I thought, oh, you know, I came back to the idea of Lee Wen. It was only from then on that I started to work on this uh, Lee Wen project more seriously. For people okay. who don't know who Lee Wen was, yeah. and you didn't know really who he was when you first met him either, can you explain who he was in Singapore? Yeah, well, he was a performance artist. He's also known as someone who uh, actually switched careers. He was a, a, a bank officer, and then in his 30s, he, he decided, oh, you know, I, I'm going to uh, switch and become an artist. So that was one part. But the other part that I think is quite significant is that he continued to be a, a, a performance artist during a time in Singapore when there was uh, the, the so-called performance art ban. In the newspapers, you know, uh, this discussion about whether art was obscene and 
And one of the things that happened was that funding for performance art was cut. It was not just that the funding was cut, but also that the venues at which approvals to perform in this, in, in this sort of artistic way uh, were very difficult to obtain. And so Li Wen, who continued as a performance artist, did actually do that, um, working around it by going overseas, doing performances outside of Singapore, and also finding creative ways to, to perform in, in quote-unquote perform in Singapore. For example, getting fellow artists to film a performance so that it would be a video rather than a live performance, mm. which somehow made it not a performance, you know, like technically. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the things that uh, I would say that, that he would be quite known for. I, I, you know, he is most known for his series of works called Journey of a Yellow Man, where uh, he basically painted himself yellow. It was quite a sight and something that was pr- provocative in a way. It, it stimulated conversation because it speaks to, to his identity and questions about what it means to be Chinese. I, I'm not sure I dare say these few items would be, I think, what he would be most known for. What I love about this podcast is that I get to talk to people like you about subjects I have never known anything about. But what's so interesting for me in this case is not only is it someone I knew nothing about, but it's your approach to the subject. And it's so inventive. And I wonder when you sat down and said, okay, I am going to do this biography, what was your approach? I mean, did you come up with this really interesting and unusual format right out of the gate? Or was it a result of experimentation? How did you arrive at the idea of doing it in these brief chapters, integrating into it illustrations and charts? How did that come about? This project has many, many parts, and I wanted to have a range of sources. Uh, I wanted to to include direct quotes from his colleagues and friends and and family. I wanted to done sort of some footstepping by going to various places where he he had been. But in terms of the the format, I suppose um, it began sort of more as I suppose a, a like a singular narrative. It wasn't sort of broken up. Probably the most sort of different, or, or um, I wouldn't say unique, but it's a, a different sort of structure to this text is that it is broken up into 135 parts. Uh, I wanted to do that because not straight off, you know, initially it was a singular text. I then decided to break it up for several reasons. The main reason, I suppose, is, you know, because Lee Wen is a very creative person and I wanted a text that would reflect that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I wanted something that uh, that would be read by my, my friends and family. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that, you know, if I had a, a sort of continuous narrative that just went on, and this is actually a, a much more uh, pared down, this uh, published version is a pared down version. Like mm-hmm. if it was a, a longer sort of, you know, um, more traditional sort of biography, I thought it might not be as appealing or easy to read rather at least, you know, the people around me. So I wanted to create something. I mean, I sometimes call it like biography for millennials, you know, like uh, the sort of short attention spans that we have and, we're, you know, everyone is so busy that I wanted something easy to read, like that you can just dip in and out. 
Yeah, because people often say to me, why do you even bother writing books? Because people don't want to read books now. They want to watch TikTok. And (laughs) your book is certainly way more elevated than a TikTok, not that there can't be super videos, but I felt like it was more digestible, but also it is so, now that you say that, so reflective of, I mean, I didn't get to experience his artistry, but um, that's really super that that was what motivated you. And in this program that you were in, were you working on it there? And was that controversial to the more traditionalists in the program? When I was in the program, it was really very much in the early stages. You know, I was not uh, sort of thinking yet at that time of sort of breaking it down. But uh, but I would say that at the University of East Anglia, where I, I did my, my master's program, it was a place that gave me a lot of ideas. And certainly uh, innovative forms of biography were definitely welcome and, and you know, and things that I had thought about during during my uh, my time there for sure and and I definitely had this sense that I wanted to do something creative uh, because of my subject yeah I was very very inspired during that time and and I looked at uh, at many biographies in fact I knew I, that it had to be a different approach because of of the creativity of my subject he, he was he was a very sort of um different like for example you know uh, we had a I guess Singapore is well known for like not selling chewing gum. Right. And so what he did was, you know, he had, he made these paintings and, and, and it was an interactive sort of like painting that the, the people in the, who, who visited the, the museum or the gallery would, would then go to chew gum and then stick the, their gum onto the painting. Yeah. So, so the eventual artwork was just full of gum and uh, it created a lot of conversation and, this is the sort of artist he was, you see. I kind of thought that I should at least try to see how I could make it a little bit more creative. Yes, you did. And you you absolutely did. I also found it very interesting because I'm in a graduate program right now about biography and memoir, in addition to having written a memoir and biography. So I think about this a lot. And I I love that in this case, you are infused in this book. It gave me a sense of you to read this book, which is not traditional in a biography. And I particularly love and wanted to talk about the beginning where basically you uh, have this exchange where he's very upset about what you've written. A, that you included him in the process and that B, that you reveal that it also says a lot about you as a writer and about him as a subject. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, so there are a couple of things. One is uh, there's a lot of writing today, even in biography, perhaps uh, where the biographers in, uh, includes themselves, um, or at least it seems to be trending, but there is this view. And I think it's a strong view that one should not include themselves in a biography because when, when a reader comes to read a, a a biography of, of a person, they want to know about the person, not a, about the writer. So then the argument is, oh, you know, that that's why uh, the, the writer should just remove as much of themselves as possible uh, from the text. That there's no way to, to fully remove oneself, of course, because, you know, if you're writing a text that even if you, you do not mention yourself at all, the way you write it will reveal something of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it was important to include myself because of those interactions, the particular interactions I had with the subject, with Lee Wen, my friend, 
And uh, that would really show something of his personality and character. And that was what I wanted to show. Um, it could have been like interactions of him with another person, right? That I am sort of standing at the side observing. But in this case, because the interactions were, you know, between uh, myself and, and Lee Wen, then I felt that I had to kind of describe it so that the reader can experience what his personality was like. Because I think I said earlier on that his personality was the thing that I really wanted to describe, to express and, and, and to share. Yeah, but the other issue that comes up uh, in, in your question, I think for me, is this question about ownership, which mm -hmm. is, I had shown him earlier and, and shorter parts of like text. And, you know, I think for, for people who uh, are writing biographies, there is this question uh, about ownership. Obviously, we should take ownership because it is us who, who is ultimately, I mean, we are responsible for our text. But one a very interesting thing for me is that when you're showing your text to someone and sharing it with them, you know, uh, the person who is being written about, then there's typically a, a, a kind of response. It's very difficult to read about, about oneself. In fact, I was given advice before, which is that never show your text until it's published, you know, never show your text to, uh, to your subject and, until yeah. it's published, because otherwise it's, it, you may get a reaction that you're not expecting and then you will have to really work out how to deal with that because it's very, very difficult. And also, secondly, I mean, of course, you can share it for, you can share, like, you know, you can fact check and things like that, but it's a, quite a different thing to seek out the opinion of your subject, right? Right. So in this case, I wanted to have Lee Wen be a part of the text in a way that was more than just me. I wanted him to own it too. Many other books have done this uh, much more extensively and, and successfully, you know, I think... I'm thinking of an example where someone published a, a piece where uh, had many subjects and, and all those subjects were listed as authors, you know, fellow authors of, of, the, of the piece, which was a very interesting way to recognize the contribution of, uh, of her subjects. As a, a fellow writer, I, I'm curious as to what you think of, of these two issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not so sure what I think because, you know, in your case, because you had this relationship you know, you had a friendship. And so it was, and you had asked him, you know, you told him that you wanted to write this book. It's different than if it was some distant person who you didn't have any sort of connection to, uh, yet was a public figure. But I, I definitely see and have experienced myself the landmines of writing about someone. I mean, I've written about people who are deceased and their family has been mad at me because they feel like, who was I to write this? They don't understand it. And it is really an inherent issue in our times and probably just has been for a long time. Who has the right to write about someone, especially, you know, if they aren't a famous person so I'm not, I'm not sure. It, it has me thinking. I just so admired your construct, this really inventive way of presenting the story that for me was very accessible, especially since I didn't know who it was you were writing about. And that the tension between the two of you added to it because it helped illuminate your character, your, your subject. You know, that's one of the great things about being alive today in this media saturated era is that there are so many new ways 
of telling stories and you struck upon one that was in text and that's that's important so you know i i uh, i am currently a, a phd student at, at the university of hawaii and so i i'm, I'm reading about you know i took a couple of courses in, in in life writing and and this is more like life writing studies you know uh so like scholarship on life writing uh and and i wanted to do that so i could maybe learn more and and see how some of this would feed into my writing and so so there's this uh, as a scholar called thomas kauser very well known um and and he presents there's really a distinction between the sort of first person uh, present tense descriptive type of uh, what he calls like high definition, which is very detailed and you know like it paints the the entire sort of uh, scene and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is sort of a contrast uh, to the sort of more reflective sort of in the present moment, looking back on the past and the sort of writing that that one would write uh, when when one is reflecting is not the same sort of writing that one would write when writing a, a present tense sort of text scene. So I thought this, this was very interesting because in this book, there are some parts where I'm trying to imagine certain sort of uh, scenarios. His sort of distinction is more sort of uh, germane to autobiography, but, uh, but I think it applies as well in a way. It led me to, to ask the question, which is, you know, like to what degree or to what extent should, should this sort of high definition type of writing be, be done in, uh, in a text? And and I said I think I don't have an I don't have a an answer to that like you know is is there a place for like for both in in a biography or you know uh, should one seek to imagine and then a, a almost speculative imagining scenes or scenarios of course based on on the research that one has done we live in a time where perhaps that's permissible I mean it depends on who your audience is what your publisher says. There's that famous example of Edmund Morris, who wrote that biography of U.S. President Ronald Reagan. It was called Dutch, and I think a lot of it was invented. I did not read it, but that was extremely controversial, but that was also a long time ago. So we live in a time where so much is being redefined. And Lee Wen certainly is an example of redefining a lot, right? He redefined... Mm -hmm a route that a person, a trajectory a person should take in Singapore for himself mm-hmm. and created art in defiance mm-hmm. or, you know, up against the system. And so it's, it seems very fitting that you would do what you've done. My conversation with Lishan Chen author of Searching for Lee Wen, A Life in 135 Parts, took place via Zoom on September 9th, 2022. To learn more about bio or to hear other episodes in our podcast series, please visit our website, biographersinternational.org. I'm bio member Lisa Napoli in Los Angeles, California. Alani Hodge created our theme music. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>